Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, everyone. I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been to church this morning. Amen. Thank you. Uh, it is a great joy, great privilege to stand before you this morning. Uh, when Pastor Scott said he and Lord were going to be on a well-deserved vacation, asked me to preach, it is always a great uh, joy to preach here. This is a great place to preach a great, uh, with a great congregation. But I've got to admit this morning, uh, this, the message I have for you is not the message I originally planned to preach. Our worship team can tell you that, our tech team can tell you that uh, originally I had planned to preach a message about Jesus, our high priest. And I'm excited. It was a good message. But about a month ago, uh, God told me uh, to preach something else. So next time you're allowed to preach in the pulpit at Centenary, I want you to preach this message. And uh, so, so I'm going to do that, but I'm going to tell you I'm not too excited about this message. Uh, this is not the most exciting, uplifting, comforting message you'll ever hear. But I want to tell you that this is a message that comes from the heart and word of God. Uh, this morning, as I promised, my, my, my deepest intention and deepest plan, when both I'm here and Scott's here, is we're not going to tell you our opinions, we're not going to tell you our ideas, we're going to tell you what God says and what God's word says. And so that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to do today. And, I want, and I'm so thankful that this is a church we can do that. This is a church that wants to hear that. I'm reminded, um, but the first, for the first time I preached here, I was very nervous. And I was at a dinner with uh, Pastor Quentin. And, uh, and, and he was our senior pastor, many of you know, for 17 years here. And he said, Sean, the thing about Centenary is this is a congregation that loves to hear the word of God. And so today we're going to turn and hear from the word of God from one of its more challenging passages in the prophet Jeremiah in the sixth chapter. We'll begin at the ninth verse. Will you hear this, the word of the living God? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel. Like a grape gatherer, pass your hand again over its branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? See, their ears are closed, they cannot listen. The word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the gatherings of young men as well. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the old folk and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. They acted shamefully. They committed abominations, yet they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At that time, I shall punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you go with me now to prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
And sometimes it illuminates things we'd rather keep in the dark. But this morning we pray that your holy word would come and speak to us. Speak deep to our hearts and draw us closer to you. And that can only happen if your Holy Spirit comes and speaks directly to each one of us. And so, Lord, in these words that are said, and despite these words that are said, may you speak to hearts, because if your Holy Spirit speaks, Lord, nothing else matters. But if your Holy Spirit does not speak, Lord, nothing else matters. So speak to us, Lord, we pray, for we, your children, are listening. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength, and through Christ, you are our salvation. Amen. What do you do um, when something bad happens? I don't mean something small bad happens, but something very serious happens. Maybe it's you took a look at your stock portfolio. Maybe it's bad news from your doctor. Maybe it's the blue and red lights in the back window. I don't know. What do you do when something bad happens? Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that when when bad things happen, my, my first thought is to try to plan what I can do to get out of it, right? What can I say? What steps can I make? Who can I call? And then I think if I can do that, well, everything's going to be okay. I'll get through it. It won't be a problem. It's not that bad, right? I mean, it doesn't look good, but it's going to be okay. Maybe you're like that too. I think the people in Jeremiah chapter 6 were like that too. Right now we're looking, we're probably about 600 years, or a little more, before the birth of Christ in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is part of this small kingdom called Judea. It is the remnants, there. you've heard, probably heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, it is two of those southern tribes together, and uh, they are in a very bad neighborhood. They've got enemies to the west in Egypt, enemies to the north in Assyria, enemies to the east, this upstart empire called Babylon. And they're there. And in the midst of this, enemies on all sides, there seems to be a word. It's going to be okay. Nothing bad could ever happen to us. But Jeremiah said otherwise. You see, there were prophets and priests in leadership that said, peace, peace. In other words, they said nothing bad could happen to us. No matter what goes on, no matter what we do, everything is going to be okay. We don't need to change anything. Or if we do, it's a very small change. And Jeremiah says, no, this is a very difficult time because the people of Judea are under the judgment of God. 
The problem in Judea, he said, was not the military might of their enemies. The problem in Judea was that the people of God had forgotten who they belonged to. The problem in Judea was they thought that God, it, wasn't, it didn't matter what they did, but that God would uh, take care of them no matter what. And I think about the people of Israel. I think about how their religious leaders backed this theological lineup, and sometimes I have to admit, I worry about us today. You and me. Do we pay attention to what God really and actually wants in our life. See, the people of Judea didn't. Uh, Jeremiah relays to us what God said about them, relays to us God's case about them. He says, the people's ears are closed. They cannot listen. No matter if God speaks to them, they're not paying attention It's interesting, that word closed in the Hebrew is actually the word uncircumcised. You might know that from the beginning, God gave circumcision as a physical sign of belonging to God's covenant people. And so they kept doing that. They kept doing the exterior sign, but in their hearts and in their ears, they weren't God's people. They thought if only they did the externals, that God would be pleased. So they kept circumcising their baby boys. They kept worshiping in the Jerusalem temple. They made sure the right family was on the throne. And they said, as long as we do this, everything's going to be okay. Right? But Jeremiah says, no. See, all the purpose of those things was for a deeper spiritual meaning. The purpose of the circumcision, of the temple, of the kingship, of the dynasty was to remind God's people they belonged to him. Because you see, those kings that were in the descendants of David, uh, they, well, they did what they had to, they felt they had to do. After all, enemies on all sides. So they'd go make treaties with them and say, hey, we'll give you some money if you um, don't attack us and destroy us, okay? Okay. And so the enemy said, fine, we'll take your money. And they said, but one other thing you're going to have to do, here are our gods, our pagan gods, you need to take those and put those in the temple next to your gods. And they said, okay, we'll do that. So the temple dedicated to God became filled with other gods. At one time, one king even went to Damascus and was forced to worship before a bronze altar to another god, to a foreign god. And he said, oh good, let's build one of those and we'll put one of those altars in the temple. And so they go and they do that. They build another bronze altar in the temple. They figure, hey, this is the cost of keeping the peace, right? It's the cost of getting along with our neighbors. But the problem was, God's word was very clear. You remember the Big Ten Commandments? What's number one? You shall have no other gods before me. And in Deuteronomy chapter six, that word that God commanded that they recite to their children, he says, remember, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one or the Lord alone. And so God's people uh, began to worship other gods. 
And you know, sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times, we do the same thing. We say, hey, you know, I come to church an hour on Sunday, at least a couple times a month, or once a month. Okay, I'm a member of a church. Maybe even come every Sunday. And I, do the, I sing the songs, I close my eyes during the prayer time, I listen to the sermons. Isn't that all God wants? And God's, and, and what God, but, but the problem was, that's not all God wants. And then you go the rest of the week as though God doesn't matter. Friends, I want to warn you and tell you that that wounds the heart of God. God is not looking for a relationship with you one hour a week. I say that as someone who's really glad you're here, that one hour a week. But God wants a relationship with you each and every day. God doesn't want you to put those other gods, we may not have, fan, we may not have names for the gods and statues of them, but they're gods that have names nonetheless, like the God of career, the God even of family, the God of wealth, the God of of uh, leisure. They have names, and any time we put them before God, it's an idol. And you see what happened? That idolatry, it got into their heart and into their souls, and in fact, Jeremiah then says, the people are totally greedy for unjust gain from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. That's the very source of the human condition. We're always looking for more. It was famously told of that someone asked Andrew Carnegie over a hundred years ago, the world's richest man, they said, how much is enough? And he responded with one word, more. How many of us are in that same boat that, that we want more, more of whatever it is? And what happens is then we tell ourselves that it's okay. Yeah, you know, God's word says that, but the Bible's old and it doesn't understand our modern world. And that's what they said. They said, hey, that Deuteronomy, Exodus, that stuff was written a thousand years ago. Who can believe that? Well, we can believe it, you know, we'll change a couple things. But God says, no, what you need is not a small change, but a change of heart change of heart. In fact, in verse 14, I love this, it says, they treat my people's wounds carelessly. Now, a lot of our physicians here this morning must have known I would have called on them, so a couple, a few of them aren't here today. But I look around and I see some of you, especially kids, I don't know how many of you have ever broken a bone. Ever broken a bone? Any of you? No? Well, I, 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 Miss Peyton was here earlier, and is Miss Peyton still here? She. She's gone. Okay. Well, I told Miss Peyton I was going to call on her, so she left. Miss Peyton, she just she's, uh, she's my my buddy, and uh, she just she broke her arm a few weeks ago, and and if you probably noticed that uh, she was in a cast. She just had that taken off. You know that cast helped her arm heal. You know what if she had gone to the doctor and the doctor said, "You've broken your arm. Here's a band-aid. Put it on it. Try not to move the arm too much. It'll be fine." What would have happened? Would it have healed right? No. Would Peyton have probably wanted to hear that? Sure. Right? You don't have to do anything. 
But would anyone out here say that that would have been a good doctor who did that? Or even more seriously, what would happen if a doctor knew you had cancer but was afraid to tell you? And you didn't find out till later. You would be immediately going to the yellow pages to lawyers, medical malpractice. Right? Why? Because they didn't tell you the truth. See, that was the problem with the prophets and the priests, is they weren't telling the whole truth. They said, hey, God, God is, only cares about the externals. God only cares if we worship him in the right place and we have the right king on the throne. If we're fine with that, God, he, he cares about us and he'll never let anything bad happen to us, no matter how we act. And Jeremiah says, and God tells Jeremiah that that is false. That what they do is they don't take the wound seriously. You see, all of us have a spiritual wound. Now this goes against all the culture of today, so I want to tell you that. But the witness of this book from cover to cover is not that humans are basically good. It's not. The witness of this book cover to cover is that we were created good. We were created in God's image. But because of disobedience, sin entered the world. And because of sin, all of our hearts have been turned. We turn after our own way. We seek other gods. Our heart is, as one put it, a perpetual idol factory. And so spiritually, we are not at peace by our own nature. To say that we are basically at peace in our, in our, neighbor, in our nature as it is, is like Neville Chamberlain and when, he went to, when he went to deal with the Nazis in the 1930s. Some of you maybe were around then, but that probably very few of you. But some of you, most of you probably have heard about it in history. That they went, that Neville Chamberlain went and met with Hitler and said, well, if only we give Hitler a little bit more and we just give him a little more room, there will be peace. In fact, he came back and he pronounced, we have peace in our time. But it only lasted two more years. Because it was never enough. It was never enough. It was never enough. So they kept going, capturing more land. And finally, they had to bring a leader like Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, who knew that you could not paper over and treat the wound carelessly. And it was very difficult. But they were able to deal with it. They were able to heal that continent. But at the cost of great bloodshed. See there is always within us a temptation to think that these difficult problems have easy answers. And sometimes they just don't. And we need to confront the truth though about who we are. We need to confront the truth that we are people who are who are in need of something. That we are people that like the people in Israel, we act shamelessly. We are people who act in ways that we are not supposed to act. We, we need to come to confront those brutal truths rather than paper them over and say, if only I could just try a little harder. We need more than that. It reminded me of something I read a few years ago in a book by the business author Jim Collins called Good to Great. And some of you have been in management and been in business. You've probably read that book before. In one of the chapters, Jim Collins talks about meeting uh, Admiral Jim Stockdale. That may be a name that is familiar to some of you as maybe way in ancient history for others. Admiral Stockdale was the highest ranking American officer 
uh, to be captured in the infamous Hanoi Hilton prison in the, during the Vietnam War. He was there for many years and was uh, tortured over 20 times. And Jim Collins went and spoke to Admiral Stockdale and to asked him, said, Admiral, who are the, what's the difference between those who made it through the torture and the imprisonment and those who didn't? What, have, what happened? Who were the ones who didn't make it? And Admiral Stockdale said, oh, it's simple. The optimists were the one who didn't make it. And Jim Collins was confused and surprised. And he said, well, why was that? He said, well, the optimists, they always thought that it wasn't that big of a deal. They said, well, we'll be home by Christmas. And Christmas came. Well, we'll be home by Easter. And Easter came. We'll be home by Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving came. And he said, and eventually they died of a broken heart. So who were the kind of people who survived, Jim Collins asked Admiral Stockdale. He said, those who realized, who confronted the brutal facts of the situation they were in but who never lost hope. Because I'm here to say this morning, this message, that though we are, our humanity is no different than the people of Jerusalem 2,600 years ago, we are a people who we can confront the brutal truth about the struggles and the difficulties of our soul, but we do not do it without hope. You see, our religion won't save us. Coming to church won't save us. Your parents' faith will not save us. Being an American, even though we are in a great country, will not save you. You cannot bring your U.S. passport to the pearly gates. The truth is that we are in such need that God himself provided a way in Jesus Christ. You see, God himself looked at us. Aren't you glad that God didn't paper over it? I know some of you probably are thinking, oh, I wish we had a God who didn't take sin so difficult and seriously. But may I suggest to you, nobody wants that. We saw the terrible uh, murders yesterday in Pittsburgh. Do any of you want a God who looks and sees that and says, that's no big deal, those humans, they're so funny. Does anyone want that? No, we want a God who looks down and the good news is we have a God that looks down and sees the brokenness and his heart breaks with our hearts. And that's why he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and Jesus lived and he never sinned, his heart was never darkened. But nevertheless, he was hanged and nailed to a tree and he bled and he died And the good news is that when Jesus' blood died, was shed, and he died on that cross, the righteous died for us unrighteous, so that we can be made children of God. See, only when we can look, and when we can confront the brutal facts of our own sin, are we able to turn and reach for the Savior. Only when we confront the brutal facts of our own sin nature can we turn to the Savior. God is not asking for us to make little changes. What God is asking for us to do is to totally trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the good news is, when we can turn and turn our whole heart, it's going to change. We're not going to be able to enjoy our sin as much anymore. Bad news, folks. 
But what we will, instead of the sin in our heart, we can be replaced with the joy that comes from having the Holy Spirit in us. See, God promises that when we turn to Christ, He gives us the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in our hearts and to tell us, you, me, even though our sins are like scarlet, yet they shall be white as wool. And you can know that you are a child of God, that you are loved, you are accepted That God does not overlook your sins, but that God takes your sins so seriously it led to the cross. And because of Jesus, you can be forgiven. So I don't know where you are today. You, You may be today... You may be today in a place where, where God is just starting to break into your life. God is just starting to tell you that, that he, he wants more for you. Let me tell you, they were right that God loved them no matter what, but what they thought was God only loved them so much as to overlook them. The good news when you read the scriptures, what God tells us is that God loves us so much, he wants to make us more like him. He wants to reverse the curse of sin and death in our lives. And so I want to tell you, you can have that curse reversed. You can come to know Jesus. And it's not, it's not a, you don't have to jump through fiery hoops. You just have to be willing to confront the brutal facts and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Help. That's all it takes. Maybe you've been sitting here for a while and you say, hey, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You're totally right. But I have an uncertainty in my soul. I want to tell you, today can be the day that God can make a difference and move in your heart and life. You just have to call out to him and say, I need you more. I can't do this on my own. I need your Holy Spirit within me. You can pray for that, and I believe God's word says it will happen. He will make a work in your heart. It may not happen right immediately, but it will happen if you turn to him. See, even in Jeremiah, God gave hope. He said, look for the paths, the ancient ways. Look. Find where the good way lies and watch in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So this morning, I want to tell you, are things going to be okay? Well, the way we're going, not so much. But if we can turn to Jesus... As our Lord and Savior, we can be forgiven. We can be set free. And when it comes to that time of judgment, and when it comes to those everyday moments in your life, with Jesus in your life, we can say, are things going to be okay? Things are going to be okay, yeah? Because he's got it. And he holds us. And he's not going to let us go. Thanks be to God. Amen.